Welcome to the Abridged Presidential Histories with Kenny Ryan, episode 26E, an interview on TR's post-presidency and the Great War with David Pietrusa. I'm excited to welcome David Pietrusa to the show today. David is an award-winning historian who has written numerous books about the presidency, including TR's Last War, Theodore Roosevelt, The Great War, and A Journey of Triumph and Tragedy which focuses on Theodore Roosevelt's attempts to get the United States and himself into World War I. Today, we'll be focusing on that and the entire TR post-presidency as we discuss the final chapters of Roosevelt's life. David, thank you so much for joining me. Good to be here. So a solid Teddy Roosevelt factoid is that Theodore is the youngest person to ever become president of the United States. He was 42 when he was sworn in. And that also means he is the youngest person to ever become a former president. He was 50, a living former president. A living former president. <laughs> I know. I double checked that. Earlier. I'm like, nope, Kennedy, Garfield, you don't count. Sorry. Right. <laughs> he was 50 when he leaves office. What did T.R. Keep, keep, keep in mind, Franklin is 51 when he enters the White House. <laughs> That's a fantastic comparison stat yeah. on the fifth cousins <laughs> once removed. Um so what did TR think he was going to do when he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to retire after eight years? He didn't have to. You know, there was no mandate yet. What did he think he was going to do? No, but life? but he had shot his mouth off <laughs> yeah. like like a, a number of other presidents. Uh, Buchanan, who he, he did not uh, uh, usually cite Buchanan positively. Absolutely Buchanan not. Buchanan and Wilson and sometimes Taft were like the three like worst guys in in history to him uh but buchanan said he wasn't going to run again when when he was elected um it's it's uh and and when roosevelt is elected in his own elected he's only elected once right uh because he almost has a full eight years but but not quite and he is elected in the big landslide in 1904 and he says i'm not gonna run again um and his wife is like face palm and like, <laughs> why did you say that? It's like, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, but, you know, that's that's never good because it makes you a lame duck. Yeah. And lame ducks. I, <laughs> I was a lame duck for a few months and, you know, your influence uh, wanes and you wonder if you can get anything done, mm -hmm. uh, particularly, you know, really at, at the end when you're when your bag is packed. So what's he going to do? And what's he going to do is he's got to make a living. <laughs> yeah. He's got to make a living. Now, he had inherited enough money to live on for the rest of his life yeah. from his father. But uh, that little adventure he has in North Dakota, where he loses most of his cattle in a blizzard, yeah. shoots that plan to hell. Yeah. And, and he's been on the government payroll just about his entire adult life. He's been he was elected to this New York State Assembly at 22. Mm -hmm. was like minority leader or something, you know, majority leader at, at, at two years later or something. And then he's police commissioner, civil service commissioner under Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland. Mm -hmm. assistant secretary of the navy so this this is this is your you know this is your career bureaucrat guy okay which you don't think of him the great adventurer as this but he is and so he's making money on that he's also making money writing books he right. writes books for 
early and like voting in New York or Chicago, vote <laughs> early and often. Yep. And so he writes early and often. And so he's he's got to write more books. He gets uh, jobs editing uh, editor in chief of, of, of magazines like Metropolitan Magazine a few years later, uh, uh, quite a few years later, like 1914 at $25,000 a year which isn't mm-hmm. isn't bad he, he's working for the outlook magazine so he's 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 think of churchill this is very much like churchill in the 30s where churchill has to write 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 articles and and books just yeah. just to keep keep things up yeah william howard taft isn't sure what he's going to do when right. he the white house it's like uh maybe i could argue before the supreme be in a federal court no, I appointed all those guys. I can't. <laughs> so yeah. he gets a job at Yale. Yale gives him a job and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, happy until he goes back on the government payroll. Mm-hmm. So, so that's your that's my my short, long answer as to what he was. And then, of course, he was going to go out and might kill large numbers of animals and, you know, explore the Amazon. And I don't think yeah. those things are when he's leaving. The African expedition is is on the on the books. Yes, he's able to do that because. Um, it's funded by the uh, Museum of Natural History, and the uh, which yep. is another story for today. Uh, but they took his statue down, and the um, Carnegie Andrew Carnegie puts the money up, and you know he would have never had you know quite the funding he had uh, you know if he wasn't president uh, un- until those opportunities came came forward, and then he goes off and explores the Amazon after right. he, after he blows the Republican Party sky high in nineteen twelve. It's, it's kind of like when he leaves the White House, you could almost summarize it as he starts looking for ways to get himself killed in exciting ways. <laughs> he goes to Africa. He's really. Yes. Let's let's start with Africa. Let's like, what is the inspiration? Is this part of I need to write books? I'm going to write books about Africa. You mentioned he's going to kill a ton of animals. There's 11,000 creatures, large and all creatures, great and small. Who, who do not survive this trip <laughs> and from little insects to elephants and rhinoceri and every other thing are, are um, really stuffing and, and bringing these things back. It takes years for them to, to, to process them. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of it. He's, he's a big birder. Yeah. I think his first book as a kid is, is on birds of long Island. Huh. Uh, one of the last communications he has is he's he's just read a book uh, on 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 birds and he writes to someone and he's really correcting some very fine point. He's deathly sick. Yeah, uh, he's gonna die, and yeah. um and he's he's taking the time to do this, and it's not some <laughs> small point. He he knows it. Of course, he has this you know photographic memory. So he remembers everything and is often not shy about letting people know he remembers everything. <laughs> and, and that is a great skill to have in politics. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, if I, I was, you know, I got, I got elected once. I got elected once and, <laughs> and, and with the worst memory for faces on mm. the East coast, <laughs> it was not, you know, it was pulling that off was not easy in a ward race. And be, because, you know, if you if you just look at people blankly, it doesn't, right. it's not so good. But if yeah. you can if you can remember, I met you eight years ago in Cincinnati. Yeah. 
Okay. But he blow their socks and, off. And, it's like, and whoa. Your daughter you remember me? He could do that. Yeah. And people say, he cares about me. Yeah. <laughs> no, he just remembers everything. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but, you know, that makes an incredible impression on people. So he's got, he's got that, that, that skill. And also the fact that, you know, he's, he's going to sell things as, you know, this is the most important issue in the world. You know, this is, mm. we, we got to do this. And you, you talk about Wilson's self-righteousness and all this <laughs> and being able to change <laughs> positions yeah. on a dime. Um, it's TR can do it. can match him issue for issue. It, there, there must've been something going on back then in, in the teens. So, so TR, he runs off on the safari. Can you tell yes. me a little bit more about this? I mean, he kills a tremendous number of animals. Is, is there anything to be like an insight to be gleaned about Roosevelt's personality from this experience or anything like no, that? No, I, in a way it was, um, that was, that was the thing which was kind of at odds with the rest of his post-presidency. Hmm. Well, he was always, um, there's a, one of the earliest Groucho Marx songs is, hello, I must be going. I cannot <laughs> stay. I, <laughs> you know, so it goes on like this and he's, yeah. he's not, and Roosevelt is always saying, I'm washed up in politics. I'm right. through with politics. This is the end. They don't want me anymore. And, and, but where he really carries through on it is with that African expedition yeah. where I am really going to stay out of William Howard Taft's way. I'm going to go as far away as possible. And, you know, you can, you won't, you won't even be able to reach me sometimes. Uh, and then, however, uh, he, he comes up, uh, through Egypt and that is when the, uh, um, King Eddie, King Edward of uh, the eight, uh, the seventh of of the United Kingdom, to be precise, uh, <laughs> kicks the bucket, and they have this amazing funeral, mm -hmm. which is chronicled in um, um, Barbara Tuckman's book uh, on on the beginning of the First World War, where all the crown heads of Europe are there. Oh yes, yeah. and uh, yeah. he 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 makes the tour. He meets with the. Um, Franz Josef and Wilhelm. He never thought much of, of Wilhelm, right? Uh, the second and um, probably two two boisterous personalities coming together. Um, uh, was, uh, well, uh, Churchill and and Roosevelt. Tr met at one point. They did not care for each other. Huh. Um, and uh, so he's he's able to be Mister America at that point, but. At that point, while he's still in Europe, Gifford Pinchot comes over and the Taft administration is beginning to collapse. And yeah. the, the issues between the forestry uh, debates and the tariff. Roosevelt would make noises about reforming the tariff. But the smart play is no matter how you feel about it, is to just leave it alone. Mm hmm. Uh, Uncle Joe Cannon had this Cannon rule, which was every time you you mess with the tariff, no matter what you do, you're going to create this uncertainty. OK, people don't know what to buy. People don't know what to manufacture, what the mm -hmm. prices are going to be coming. You get all this log rolling and and often you see these big economic downturns occur, you know, uh, right after the, the tariff is changed. So Roosevelt will will talk reform with the tariff. And he's right. smart enough not to go near it. <laughs> Taft talks about it, does something, it gets yeah. into the Congress, and it comes out 
like it always does. And everyone gets mad at everybody. So, so that's, that's a big part of it. And, and Taft, Taft double crosses uh, TR and that he says he's going to keep his cabinet on mm-hmm. and he keeps two members on and, you know, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. what was, what was that about Bill? You know, that's, that's not a good way to get, get off on, on the right foot to your old, old pal and the guy who, who, who made you, you know, the yeah. president. Oh, absolutely. but that's, that's a bit like Al Smith and FDR as governor of New York. It's like, ha ha, I'm, I'm in charge now. You're not go away. A hundred percent, hundred percent. But I mean, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind from everything you just said is I don't think there's a room in the world big enough to fit Churchill and TR's personalities. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's it. Or, you know, yeah. And and also, it's deliciously ironic how you put it, that he left to go to Africa to get out of Taft's way, and him getting out of Taft's way doesn't even last till he's back in the United States, really. Because as you mentioned, like, Pinchot comes over, he starts seeing these news, he, he immediately starts getting upset. Can you elaborate on, on what's going to cause the friction and what's ultimately going to lead TR to say, you know what, I'm running for president in 1912? Well, he gets... He gets, more, I guess the times are changing mm-hmm. and it's always the question of, okay, I'm the leader and, and am I leading the charge or am I running to get in, in front of, of the, of the, of the crowd of the movement. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, the country is moving more and more progressive and then he becomes more and more progressive mm-hmm. with, you know, initiative and referendum and, uh, more trust busting. Oh, one of the things, one of the big things which um, ticks TR off against Taft mm-hmm. is antitrust. Now he's the big trust buster, but in like you know, nearly eight years, he brings forty cases, and Taft in four years brings like eighty. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not that Taft has outshone him so much that in that way that uh, TR is upset about, but he brings a case against United States Steel. And that is impacting one of the things in the suit is how TR, in order to avert the panic of 1907, works with Morgan and they allow him to have this Tennessee coal and oil company or whatever and amalgamate that into U.S. steel and make it even bigger. And TR says that's, you know, that's a personal insult to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's what really made it personal uh in in regard to to the the big breakup there uh so you had you had all of those factors involved and and so it's it's not just one thing and i I always say you know if you're looking for something as to why somebody does something don't don't just look for one reason you know there's (laughs) usually there might be a a flashpoint but usually people do things for for a bunch of of reasons in their in, in the sum total of their existence so, so the and, sum and, total of this leads TR to run. And, and 1912 ends up being a really interesting election year. Well, let's start with it's the first year, if I remember right, of presidential primaries. Basically. Yeah. Not yeah, every state I, I think one. exactly because, uh, you know, maybe Alton B. Parker won a couple. I don't know. <laughs> no. uh, certainly, certainly TR wasn't being challenged in, in 1904. Right. In 1908, I don't think there are, are much of any. Uh, yeah. I don't think 19, either side. 1912. Yeah. So, um, and not every state has a one. handful. Yeah, but the uh, ones that not, have 
like if I remember, like they mostly go for for TR, but Taft is still going to win the party's name nation. So can, can you break down for me how how it works? Like because you know we we haven't had primaries, we're starting to have them. So how does politics work back then? That there are limited primaries, TR wins most of them, but Taft still wins the nomination. Well, because because we live in a federal system, and why and the states are the laboratory of democracy. They don't do everything all at once. They don't uh, put women's suffrage all at once or prohibition or, um, you know, whatever issues are are facing America right now. And so they didn't put the primaries in all at once. And we still don't have. Well, I mean, we have primaries in every state now, but, you know, some are more important than others. Yeah. Uh, there's no primaries in the South then for president. And, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't have um, <laughs> it would have been six people versus five people in a Republican primary in Georgia back then. <laughs> um, uh, and it, Roosevelt wins most of the primaries. Taft wins, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting that both candidates beat the other guy in their home state. <laughs> yes yeah uh, roosevelt is uh, <laughs> uh they, they've known roosevelt long enough in new york to not quite love him he has and, such a fascinating relationship so, in new york. so taft beats him there early <laughs> yeah. on and yeah. then the last primary is roosevelt beats taft in ohio yeah and in the meantime taft is also one in massachusetts mm-hmm. and he has um and and la follette La Fala is running right, and he right. wins in Wisconsin, of course, and some other place yeah, out he's, there. He's in the a prairies. senator from Wisconsin, right? He is the senator from Wisconsin. Guy. Yeah. And he was he was really the one of the first major progressives. And he's going to run on the protect progressive ticket in 1924. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then he's going to drop dead because he's been around for a long time. Yeah. And so in 1912, La yeah. Follette wants to run. And mm-hmm. La Follette, there's a group of progressive, Republican progressives coalescing around him. And he's he's kind of getting off to a start. And then Roosevelt is saying, no, 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 I don't, no, I don't want to run. No, <laughs> not me. No. But uh, Frank Knox, who ran with Landon in 1936 is a newspaper editor in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Roosevelt says, why don't you round up a bunch of Republican governors to ask me to run? <laughs> and he does. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I guess I'll run. <laughs> yeah. And 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 then all basically most of the progressives desert La Follette. Yeah. But also La Follette goes bananas one night. Yeah. At a uh, dinner for uh, newspaper publishers in Philadelphia, there's a big convention and he gets up there and has a a complete meltdown and goes on for hours just repeating himself, talking in circles and insulting all the newspaper publishers and people go. No, yeah, not a good <laughs> not, idea. Not this guy. And then yeah. TR TR announces, and at one point he says, "I'm not going to run third party." And well, that 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 does not last because, uh, you know, there's no war like a civil war. 
<laughs> and hold on. No, and before we, yeah. There, there's no new enemy like an old friend. <laughs> so before we jump into that, I, I want to sort of go back. So if some states are doing primaries, how did the other states appoint their delegates? How? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, those other states. Uh, TR had kind of set up a system in 1908 because not every Republican was like Bill Taft, that fat guy from the Philippines. <laughs> <You know? laughs> do we really? I don't know. Can't we do better? <laughs> no, he's he's my guy, my yeah. bill. Yeah. And and so he, he basically rigs it for for Taft to get in. Yeah. And one of the ways they do that and one of the ways which had been in operation for a while is you had the basic rotten boroughs of the Republican Party in the South. Mm -hmm. So all these guys, um, you, you would have splits uh, between um, the lily white factions and the black and tans. Can you define what do you mean lily white, black and tans? Well, you know, um, even though people are like Republicans and they had like been, you know, with, on the same side in Reconstruction in, in the South, uh, there were still white people in the South and black people in the South, even though yeah. they were Republicans. And the white said, we should control this party. And the black said, no, we should control this party. Oh, okay. Okay. And particularly, oh, they had some really uh, fisticuffs in 1920 in Georgia between who was going to be the, the Republicans going to the national convention. Wow. So um, uh, you get the, um, and, and when you have, a Republican Party, which is basically not non-existent, who's going to be controlling it is the people and the people that are there. The few people that are there are going to be appointed postmaster. <laughs> postmaster, being appointed yeah. postmaster was a big thing back then. Uh, That's where the position. patronage was. Yep. So if 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 Bill Taft has appointed all the postmasters, mm. they're going to be for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, TR, one of the planks of the 1912 progressive uh, platform is no federal office holders shall be delegates. OK. Uh, also, he's so ticked off by the black Taft delegates so, uh, in, at the Republican convention in 1912 that he bans blacks, black delegates from the South from the progressive um, convention in 1912. He has, a very, he has a very, he a very, wow, zigzaggy record on race. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. And sometimes it's uh, towards the end of his life. He's really, um, there's a East St. Louis riot in 1917, which is brutal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he, he goes, he, he really goes off, off on that topic uh, mm. at a speech. Yeah, uh, we've uh, as as we're recording this, we've just seen an incident at the Oscars ah, yes. at Carnegie Hall, Roosevelt. And the rally is to talk about the revolution in Russia and basically have yeah. democracy in Russia yeah. and to keep them in the war, which is what they really care about. Right. And on the stage is Samuel Gompers, who's the head of the American Federation of Labor. And right. Roosevelt says, before we talk about Russia. I got to talk about what's going on in this country. 
This is a terrible thing in East St. Louis. We should not allow this. It's like the pogroms in Russia, and I wouldn't defend those. I'm not going to defend this. And Gompers is saying, well, maybe we should have an investigation in this because it's the union members who have basically been going out and burning all the black houses down and killing them in East St. Louis because um, they were a source of cheap labor. Why do blacks move north in World War? There's Rosie the Riveter in Mm. World War II, right? Yeah. Wars disrupt things. Yeah. So the cheap source of labor of immigrants, okay, mm-hmm. like my people, okay, can't come in during the First World War. Right. But you can't get there from here anymore. Right. Okay. So what are you going to do if you've got a business in Chicago or East St. Louis or something? You the, That's when the black migration starts. Yeah. Okay, so Roosevelt says, I don't want to hear about any excuses. I don't want to hear about any investigations. Okay, and he starts to almost to punch out Samuel Gompers, the head of the American Federation of Labor on stage at Carnegie Hall. Wow. You know, and he says, oh, it was just a slap. It was nothing. It was a tap. (laughs) And then he's out. He's getting in his car. Oh, I wish I could lay hands on him. I tear him apart. It, Samuel Gompers is five foot four. I mean, you know, yeah. goodness, goodness. Okay. So, <laughs> so TR, before he gets to all that, we're He's still excitable. The, yeah. We're still in the selection of 1912. He's very excitable and talking about excitable. He gets very excitable when the convention goes for Taft and Taft yeah. gets nominated. Uh, the, uh, the guy he really liked from his cabinet was not Taft. Yeah. The guy he liked was Elihu Root. Yeah. Yeah. And Root was, he said, this is the greatest cabinet guy since Hamilton. This is, he's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Root was a little too conservative and he was too old and he didn't want it. So he didn't, he was not the candidate in, in 1908. Um, and so, Root is the chairman of the convention, and he rules that all the convention contested delegates in 1912. Yeah. Okay. And this to me, and this to Roosevelt is like absolutely corrupt. And you know, he inflates the numbers of, of contested delegates. Yeah. You know, they somebody says, This is the number, TR. He says, Oh, double it or something. We're not going to fight over this number. Double it. And then, of course, they all become this great moral moral issue. Yeah. Um, so then the the progressives pack up, go across town. This is in Chicago. Yeah. They hold their own convention. They nominate him and Hiram Johnson, who's a big progressive guy from uh, senator and governor. Yeah. He was governor at this time. He wasn't senator. And he is the uh, um, that's their ticket. And they proceed to. Uh, well, in the meantime, before the election. That Roosevelt, of course, gets shot. Right. <laughs> he's, yes. um, he's in Milwaukee coming out of the Fister Hotel, and a guy comes up near to him, pulls out a gun. He's a saloon keeper from the um, New York City, mm-hmm. Lower East Side, basically, and it has has these visions that McKinley has told has told him to you know oh my avenge God. myself on Roosevelt. It's like okay, um, it, it, a sad case, a sad case. Yeah. But he'd be trailing Roosevelt now. One one of the things I found in in the book 
which I, I've never seen mentioned. Yeah. Roosevelt, there was a great tragedy in New York City as Roosevelt is like 1903, 1904, called the General Slocum. Okay. It's a, it's a cruising boat. It's going on the Harlem River, um, and they were going to have a picnic probably in the wilds of the Bronx. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And it catches fire and it just is, a, is an inferno. Oh, it's like the floating inferno. Yeah. And a thousand women and children, largely women and children, largely Germans from the Lower East Side, Klein Deutschland, die. Wow. Die. And it, it's so bad that uh, Klein Deutschland is um, abandoned. People are just so bummed out. They move out of the neighborhood wow. because the stench of death is all around it. Okay. Uh, these boats were supposed to be federally inspected. Okay. I'm guessing shrank, not. <laughs> shrank the, uh, uh, or um, the assassin, would-be assassin of Roosevelt, lost his girlfriend on that boat. Oh, okay. And I've never seen that mentioned, but it's like, hmm. Yeah. yeah. A possible piece of the motive there. So Roosevelt is shot. He's in the chat in the chest. He's yep. prepared a rather long-winded speech, uh, which he has folded up in his breast pocket next to his eyeglass case. And the bullet is slowed down so it doesn't go all the way into him. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt, uh, because he remembered everything, like <laughs> oh, the brain starts going, oh yes, this guy told me once that if you're not spitting up blood, I better spit. Oh, no blood. Okay, I'm fine. It hasn't <laughs> my lung yet. I can go and give this speech for another 40 or 50 minutes at the hall. <laughs> and, he, and he does, but yeah. you know, um, it, he's he's not gonna win. Taft isn't gonna win. The Republican Party is split irrevocably, and Wilson wins with a smaller percentage of the popular vote than William Jennings Bryan got in any of his three not particularly impressive runs. Um, so Roosevelt so, so, has, um, is, is, there's a new president. So what do you do? Yeah. Road trip, the Amazon. And hold on, Roosevelt before we get to Amazon, Amazon. Why, why did TR insist on running as a third party? Like today, the runner-ups, the losers, they all get behind the party standard bear. They stick with it. Is it everybody just like learn this lesson? Why does TR say, I shouldn't have even primary task. Hmm? He should have waited until 1916, mm. and then he then he could have could could have come back easily. Yeah, but he just he just messes his his political career up for a number of years because of that. There's a story that, um, you know, because he had made this no third term or he wasn't uh, right um, promise again. Yeah. They ask him about this as as the 1912 election is is gearing up. And he said, um, well, I, I just meant I wasn't going to run then. I mean, uh, I, I just I could run now. Yeah. You see, like, and no then he, uses, he, he cites an example and he says, <laughs> if you ask a man at breakfast whether he wishes another cup of coffee. Right. And he says, no, that does not mean he does not wish another cup of coffee for the rest of his life. <laughs> right. 
This is the uh, if if Tr were a lawyer, like that's how it would have played out in court, and everyone would just been rolling their eyes for. That's right, but he he actually wasn't a lawyer, right? <laughs> uh, one of the few presidents who wasn't. Um, okay, so so Tr he is just too impatient. He runs in nineteen twelve. He loses, and then you're right. Like he goes off and he's like, "Let's go on this road trip. Let's go to the Amazon." T- tell me more about this. What 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 inspires us? What's he doing down there? Um, it was it was again one supposed to be one of it uh, mission creep, <laughs> mission creep, <laughs> mission creep, and actually he was uh, sort of a missionary talked him into it. Some uh, a priest, uh, I think it was a Jesuit, mm-hmm. uh, had this said you know you should go on this thing and 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 get more animal you know animal specimens and, and sure, you know sure. sort of like Africa again. But then when yeah. he gets there. Uh, they say, why don't you trace the source of this river? <laughs> which, you know, Wait, which who put is that idea in his head. Who's they? Who was? Who I don't know. Who they okay, Some, but, somebody. Uh, it was not not a good idea. I mean, right. he almost dies. Yeah. I mean, he really almost dies, yeah. Yeah. and is considering, you know, either saying, "Look, leave me alone. Let me. I, I I'm." I can't make it out of here. Just let leave me here to die. You yeah, guys like a, try a to make it out. Right. And, uh, and he's, he's considering suicide there. Yeah. So um, it's amazing. He makes it back, but he is going to be, he's going to have effects of this. He comes back looking like hell. You're right. And he um, has effects of this off and on for the rest of his life. He is, Oh, in the White House, he lost the sight in one eye from boxing. Right. Yeah. Which was a secret. Yes. And yeah. then um, from the Amazon, towards the end of his life, he goes into Roosevelt Hospital in New York. And uh, he'd been having these ear infections from the Amazon. And they butcher the job. Okay. Oh, no. And yeah. this was, he was in for something else and uh, a, a big, you know, oh, he was bleeding horribly. And um, uh, they, they butcher the job. So by the time he's, he's dead, by the time he's, he's, his life is over, he's blind in one eye and deaf in one ear mm-hmm. and uh, can barely, when he leaves the hospital for the, for the final time, He's yeah. in the hospital for months and months during the last year of his life. And, and he leaves in a, in a wheelchair uh, and, or I don't know if he, or they, or they warn him, the doctors say, you may have to spend the rest of your life in, in a wheelchair. Yeah. And uh, he's like, uh, um, you know, if I have to run for president that way, I, I will. But the fact that he is, he is such a, I guess because he's TR and he's sort of indestructible. Right. You, know, you can shoot him and he still keeps talking you know, right. forever. Uh, and he's this and you know, he can charge up San Juan Hill and people yeah. are getting killed all around him. And he's just, you know, he's not going to die. But people don't even, very few people see just in what bad shape he, he is towards the end of his life. So and he would have been, he would have been the Republican nominee in 1920. Uh, he yeah, would have been probably. the, uh, uh, he would have been the president, probably, yeah. and he would have been. Uh, he would have been progressive. Um, he'd still be. He'd probably be pushing universal military service. Huh? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. He was yelling about that 
uh, towards the in end. World War One, yeah. You know, even in peacetime, even in peacetime. Peace huh. uh, and and he would he basically the uh, largely the New Deal agenda he was talking about, uh, and publicly, you know, old age insurance and mm-hmm. uh, so uh, uh, unemployment insurance, things of that nature. So. TR, he he's gets shot while campaigning, almost dies, but lives because you know the book blocks the bullet. He he goes on this Amazon trip, almost dies. He gets home from these experiences, and World War One has broken out in Europe, and now he's he's like, let's try to get killed again. He tries to get Wilson to send him over there. Can you tell me what what was first like? What's his take on World War One when he hears Europe is at war with itself in a big way? What's his response to that? What's his reaction? His First public reaction is extremely Wilsonian. Yeah. This is this is the one of the more puzzling aspects of him. He's not acting like TR at first. It's like, well, you know, great powers have to do what they have to do. <laughs> I mean, you no, know, I mean, look at what we've done. And so yeah. I can understand this uh, Kaiser thing. You know, you have to go through Belgium. You have to look at the uh, uh, what's good for your country. And um, wow. So uh, and and well, you know, we should stand behind the president and be neutral. And this does not last long. <laughs> and it <laughs> really, it really blows sky high with the sinking of the Lusitania. Mm-hmm. He's very outraged about this. He is in Syracuse, New York, when this happens, and he's on trial uh, because he's been sued for uh, for libel. Mm. Right by the by the boss of the New York State Republican Party, a guy named Bill Barnes, and he he beats that he wins that case, uh, and and but he's off to the races against Germany and for preparedness um, a- after that. Now Wilson is Wilson is so obsessed with new Wilson is Wilson is Mister Neutral in Europe, yeah, and yeah. The preceding part of his administration, he's just been interfering all over the place in the Caribbean basin. Yeah. And Mexico. Yeah. (laughs) And and Haiti. Yeah. You know, my, he sends troops to Haiti. My grandfather served in Haiti and wow. Yeah. Afterwards. Okay. Um, But in Mexico, it's, you know, sending uh, Pershing in to catch Pancho Villa, Mm -hmm. um, Taft had an embargo right. on arms to Mexico. Right. And Wilson keeps the embargo against Huerta, yeah. but not against Carranza. Right. So it's very unneutral. Okay. <laughs> and yes. so he's, he's schizo on this. <laughs> and, but in, in regards to Europe, it's like, I don't even want to pre- look like I'm preparing for war. Yeah. There's incidents where people say, uh, where he reads something in the paper, little one of these filler things that General So and So says we're preparing the war plans or war games for mm, you mm. know, which is what this is what soldiers do, right? You okay, yeah. and he's he's outraged by that. We must stop this. We must not look like we're preparing for war at all, and which of course sets sets TR ablaze. Now in that Lusitania thing, yeah. Wilson gives a speech right afterwards. He goes up to Philadelphia and he has, he's speaking to a bunch of immigrants, newly, newly new citizens. 
lot of them are Germans, which whatever. Well, a lot of them were Germans back then. Sure. And he says there comes a there there is a time when a nation can like a man can be too proud to fight. This really sets TR off. Yeah. You know, being too proud to fight. It's like, no, I want to fight. I want to fight everyone. <laughs> I want to fight in the White House. I want to box. I want to do this. Yeah. And he really um he's had a death. He's he's wanted, he's kind of mellowed. Mm-hmm. Again, the uh, the irony. This is the great war lover. In mm-hmm. the 1890s, he's talking about invading Canada, you know. <laughs> Cuba, of course. Yep. I don't care. You know, if the Germans bombard New York City and reduce it to rubble, I don't care. It'll teach these Easterners to, you know, prepare for war. It's like, yeah. okay. And, you know, telling his sister that, you know, I, I really wish we had a big war now. So he matures later in life where he's, there's no, he makes the statement, he, he will do it a few times later in life. We lost no troops. We lost nobody's lives, um, American troops, to to foreign guns, okay? Which is true. He words it very carefully because he lost people in the Philippines with the insurrection. Oh, do you mean during his administration he means? Yeah, Uh, but they're not foreigners because we we got them, you know? (laughs) the insurrection. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, but it's like, it's fact check, mostly true. Right. Oh, okay, so I'm curious about this. I'm curious about this. Well, f- first off, just just to uh, put things in perspective, you mentioned and he wins the, the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Another irony is the Another great irony war lover sure. wins the Nobel Peace Prize. So you mentioned he's he's triggered by Lusitania. I, I'm always well, I was surprised by this. Like I feel like growing up, I felt like Lusitania happened, and then we entered the war. There's a two year no. gap between that. No, and, yeah. and the and the Germans pull back. Right. And so, so for a couple of years, he's clamoring for this, clamoring for the clamoring of this, but he doesn't just want the U.S. in the war. And you mentioned that he's calmed down, but he's also like he goes to Wilson to personally lobby Wilson to like give him the Rough Riders 2.0 and send him to Europe. Oh, that's yeah. that's uh, he he petitioned Taft to go into Mexico. Really? I didn't catch that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and before he goes and sees Wilson at the white house and, yeah. and Wilson, they're polite, but it's like, right. no, we're not doing this. <laughs> um, for a variety of reasons, he's, he's made, um, a number of proposals and wants to raise like a volunteer forces of a right. hundred thousand, uh, soldiers to, um, you know, co- be command and his, his under command under him. Is like, uh, oh, oh, it'll be my sons and it'll be my my cronies <laughs> from politics. And it's like, and he says, and I want it mounted or um mounted rifle battalions. Yeah, and he and he's what like the hell war is he thinking of? Doesn't <laughs> he get a, the newspapers? Right. You know, this this might be this is what's going on on the eastern front. Okay, sure, sure. but it's not what's going on with with you know three hundred thousand artillery shells being launched in a day at the at the Battle of the Somme or Wait. trench warfare or barbed wire. What was he thinking? Like he's fifty I don't plus know years what he old. Was <laughs> it's just him. It's just his his part it's of his just it, him. It's, it's this uh, romantic uh, view of war where, um. 
one of his old rough riders about this time it yeah. says you know you am i wrong tr that you kind of want to go off to the front and be killed and mm. tr slams his fist yes that's right and it's like how'd you know that well because you came across one of our soldiers at you know san juan hill or wherever yeah and he was leaning against he was down on the ground by a tree and he's got a bullet in it and and he's not gonna make you could tell he's not gonna make it this soldier and tr doesn't commiserate with him and he goes what a splendid way to die holy smokes <laughs> it's like it's like uh grow wow. up i mean seriously this is yeah. this is not healthy no and, you know and he he does pay the price in the war he does. He his does. sons so he, go he, over. His daughter he, goes over. His sister goes. Well, her sister is already in Italy, so she doesn't really go over. But yeah. uh, his son-in-law goes over. Everyone goes over except uh, Princess Alice. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah. so uh, uh, Kermit is, uh, is wounded. Archie is wounded very bad. Now, I don't know if Kermit is wounded. Archie is wounded seriously all over his body. Yeah. Uh, he is the only guy who is rated what, you know, they have these, these um, <clears throat> you're given a percentage of disability. Okay. And Archie was rated a hundred percent disabled in both world war one and world war two. Wow. He went back and cause those Roosevelt's are, they're not cowards. Right. So he went back in for world war two. And of course, Ted, is was wounded uh, a couple of times in the war and you know he dies on the beach at normandy right okay not during d-day but later on mm -hmm. a very brave guy um and, but Quint quentin the youngest is yeah. uh, a pilot uh it's like on his second combat mission in uh, world, war one. Yeah. world war one bastille day july 14th 1918 and he gets a bullet right right through the head uh and he's buried with with honors uh by the germans well, tr gets the word he's of course shaken but he's not about to give in and he of course praises the the, the way that the, his son has has died in this this great sacrifice but uh i i opened the book um mm -hmm. with tr speaking in columbus ohio and he's i wouldn't say he's not confronted but he meets the gold star mothers and the gold star parents and you know they 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 look at him and they know he's he's suffered the same thing mm -hmm. and um um but he does not he does not weep because you know he's a he's a he's a manly guy but he is he has made that sacrifice and a, a couple of people note that you know it it weighed on him that you know he got his war yeah and uh this this is the, this is the price price you pay it's not all glory uh he did say to uh i think a, a minister beforehand uh, quentin's dying he said you know the odds are not good that all all four of them are going to come back right but but god we trust god to do his wisest and this does happen like he dies in 1919 so this happens within a couple of years i think of of his death do we get any well, months 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 so this happens within months of his death do we get any sense on if this does have an impact does does tr change in those last few months because of after this life of invulnerability you know all these well, he's wearing things. down because he's 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 just 
He's just sick. Right. In 1918, he's just sick a lot. He goes into the hospital in February of 1918, Roosevelt Hospital. And he stay there. He stays there for a long time. And they think he's going to die. And there's a report that he's he's died. Um, and that's that's when he loses the, the hearing in, in one mm-hmm. ear. And then he's he's very sick again on Election Day, 1918. Mm-hmm. And he um, cancels a speaking engagement in Pittsburgh, you know, which tells you this guy's sick um, yeah. and um, is, is, is rushed to the hospital. He comes out just before Christmas because not because the doctors say this is a great idea, but it's like, <laughs> damn it, it's Christmas. <laughs> and even though most of the people are in France, uh, yeah. whoever is around, we're going to have Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, he comes out, but he, he is not not well. Um, Sagamore Hill, where he lives, yeah. is a, looks looks impressive, but it was a barn. It had no real heating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so he, he can't even be upstairs. He has to sleep like, you know, in the hallway or something, you yeah. know, uh, downstairs uh, because uh, near near one of the fireplaces or something. Huh. It's uh, it's not the most comfortable place in the world, I would suspect, in January. Yeah. And it's right on the bay. Yeah. Yeah. Do we get a chance if, if he's changed at all who he is those last few months? He, his body's breaking down. No, I think he's I think he's still pushing the same things. Still the same and, guy. And the the thing which is really the same is his uh complete hatred of Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> yeah. So that when he's in the hospital, he's yeah. working on plans to uh <laughs> go against the League of Nations. Uh, Even though on many occasions previously, yeah, he had talked about creating an organization of nations and at one point even called it a League of Nations. Yeah. So, uh, again, to quote the Marx Brothers and Groucho sings, whatever it is, I'm against it. <laughs> and so whatever Wilson is for, if Wilson yeah. is for and, and William Jennings Bryan, another guy, he really sure. could not stand. Yeah. Um, are for our if they get arbitration treaties through, it's like oh, arbitration, stupid. But he had been trying to get it through when he was president, he couldn't get it through. He'd been working on, on things like that, and then a League of Nations, if Wilson's for it, he's against it, you know. So, so Roosevelt, he dies, he um, dies January 6, 1919. Age of 62. As you mentioned, like if he'd lived, he'd probably be president again, like a year he would. later. Yeah, you know, he two would. Years later. He, it, he's, he's not sure whether he wants it or not. Really? He's not sure whether he wants it. Huh. Uh, I think because of, of Quentin's death and also mm-hmm. because he's just. Okay, I now mean, that sounds like a change in character because of Quentin's death. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's just, you know, kind of, he's really worn, worn out from that. Yeah. Today we forget just how sick he was yeah. for how long then. Yeah. But he knew it. Yeah. He knew it. He knew he could barely oh, uh the day day or so before he dies. It's like he can't even um he can't even sign his name to a letter. So the the last question I got for you. It's the last question 
I ask everybody, and and that's what lessons in leadership do you think we can learn from Roosevelt? And let's focus on these post-presidential years. Post-presidential years. What is the lesson from this time from him? I, I think I think I won't quote Groucho Marx, but I will <laughs> quote Douglas MacArthur that ex-presidents should, like the old soldier in the in the barracks ballad, just fade away. That is, it's really, if if not really fade away, I mean, you don't have to just vanish, but you, you really should sort of stay, stay out of the fray, I think. Particularly if you're, particularly if you're as, as excitable as uh, TR. Yeah. So like, if you want to have a long retirement, he probably should have made sure it was an actual retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think, well. Yes. Well, he should have not gone to the Amazon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody said that, you know, I think uh, I, I think he said it yeah. when he came back. Uh, I think this has taken 10 years off my life. Mm, mm-hmm. But he also said to his sister when he was in the hospital for the last time, he says, remember the promise I made? He says, she says, what are you talking about? He says, I said I would live to the fullest until I was 63. Mm. And then after that, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Yeah. If you'd like to hear more from David, please check out TR's Last War, Theodore Roosevelt, The Great War, and A Journey of Triumph and Tragedy. And give him a follow on Twitter at, at D-P-I-E-T-R-U-S-Z-A. You got it. Thank you for your time, David. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Abridged Presidential Histories. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, tell your friends about the show, and leave a five-star review on your podcast listening platform of choice. It's good to hear from y'all. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Abridged Presidential Histories or on Twitter at APH Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can look it up on Patreon or go directly to www.patreon.com slash Abridged Presidential Histories. This helps me buy books and pay to host the show, and thank you so much to everyone who's contributed so far. The music in today's podcast is a public domain recording of the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. In our next episode, we will look at the life, administration, and Supreme Court career of William Howard Taft, the only person in history to serve as both President of the United States and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It's going to rule. (laughs) That's next time on Abridged Presidential Histories.